Hello and welcome to another episode of One More Round. Tonight I'm joined as always by Chris, Stephen and Gary. Good evening lads, I hope you have had a good week. Um, on this week's show we'll be looking at how the Rugby World Cup has gone so far now that we're halfway through the group stages, uh, a review and preview of the Premiership and look back at the Champions League over the past two nights. We'll also be discussing the UFC and NFL. But first to the question of the week. So Ireland are playing Italy this weekend, so we're gonna go. We're going to go for an Azuri. Going to go to the Azuri for our question this week. And former Saracens hooker Fabio Ongaro holds a Rugby World Cup record. What is that record? So he's all got that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. None of you are googling it now, no. <laughs> yep. Not currently. <laughs> Grand. Um, so, so I suppose where else will we start this week than the Rugby World Cup? As I said, we're just past the halfway point of the group stages, and there's been a lot to talk about in this World Cup. Uh, there's been talk that this is the best Rugby World Cup so far. Do you agree with those who are saying that? Um, ask me on Halloween night, and I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, another 30 days. I think yep. it's quite similar to the one that you have in football where you can have exciting group stages, but if the quarters, semis and finals don't live up to billing, it will be remembered as a bad World Cup. But so far, so good? Yeah, so far, so good. I think the performance of Japan have been superb. Canada, over their, their three games, have, have been superb. Maybe not against Ireland, but um, the Minnows have just have stepped up their game and now they're playing for 50, 60, 70 minutes as opposed to 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Speaking of minnows, we may as well start with Ireland v Romania, forty-four ten last Sunday. Uh, thankfully, we were all at it. Um, what just make of the game? It was pretty enjoyable. It was a lovely day in London, and the team played some good stuff. It was nice to see a few of the lads getting their first run out in the World Cup. Very happy to see Tommy Bow returning to some kind of form with his two tries. We're happy yeah, on a level because of some fantasy rugby game. Well, that didn't hurt, but I, I think <laughs> Ireland's chances can only improve if Tommy Bow is at the, the peak of his form. And it was also nice to see Keith Earls in good form. and Just like I said, just nice to see the players that didn't start or didn't feature against um, Canada getting a run out. And yeah, a couple of little injury worries, but I, I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue against Italy, so Overall, I was pretty happy with the, the outcome. Yeah, these injury worries that you're saying, apparently it's Carney and Payne. And uh, Zebo had a decent game of 15, so he could well slot in there for Italy. And you mentioned Earls there as well. Um, There's talk of him covering 13 if Payne doesn't make it. Um, with his two tries last weekend, he became the record try scorer for Ireland at Rugby World Cups. I was very surprised at that. I, I, I remember being actually at the game against Russia where he scored his hat-trick, so I suppose... It doesn't make 
might make a bit of sense, but you'd have thought that over the course of three or four World Cups for a number of players in the past, that especially playing minnows, that it, w- it wouldn't be Keith Earl. But only I think he only has two World Cups to see him top is surprising with the likes of O'Driscoll, Darcy, Gagan even going back 20 years. I think the fact that Earls did play against those smaller nations and maybe that would have been an opportunity to rest the likes of O'Driscoll back in the day is probably why you see him up there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it would be, yeah. Um, it looks like he might get his chance again now uh, this Sunday against Italy. Yeah, I think all being everyone's fit, I'd say he, he'll be fighting with with Carney and Bow for for a place on the wing. I think if Payne is injured, they'll probably go with Fitzgerald and keep Earls on the wing because he's playing so well out there. Um, and then if Carney's not fit, then Zebo, as Chris said, he'll drop in at fifteen. That's an interesting point. What do you think of that guy? Uh, right, I think if Carney's not fit, I. Personally, I think uh, Tommy Bosch would probably be the better choice to fill in a full-back. And I'd agree with Stephen, keep, er- keep Earls on the wing and probably have Fitzgerald coming through the middle and Kearney on the other wing. And you, you think, not Zeebo, you, you'd, you'd move Tommy Bow, would you? <clears throat> I, I just I think Tommy Bow is the better, the better all-round player to have in, in that position. He's good under the high ball. He's, he's a smart player. So for Ireland's first proper test of the... The World Cup, I think he'd be the, the ideal one to have there. Chris, Stephen, what do you think of that? I talked to Gary about this uh, at the weekend. I, I do like the idea of seeing Tommy Bow playing a fullback, but I don't think this is the game. I think maybe they could have done it against Romania last 20 minutes or something if they wanted to have a look at it. I think he's not going to be starting against Italy there now. Um, he, I'm not even sure how often he's played the position. I just think... He's got the attributes that could benefit it, like like Gary said, very good under the high ball, and he is good with ball in hand. So he has got some some key skills that could work in that position. But it next weekend or this weekend, sorry, isn't the time to try that out. Yeah, if you look at the squad Schmidt has picked, he's picked lots of versatile players, but Tommy Bow isn't one of them. He's he's a winger. He can play at centre if if you need him. I'm sure he could do a decent job at fullback, but. He's one of the, of, the, of the players in our squad who was, especially in the back line, who was just one position. I think if you're going to do it, like Chris said, you give him six months, give him some game time at Ulster, see, play him in like I said, 20 minutes against Romania, or, or maybe the full game against Romania, 20 minutes against Canada. But I think Schmidt, it's too late to do it now. I think there was talk about Madigan being the third nine and covering. I think if you were going to give um, Ian Madigan time on the pitch, for that game, or in the World Cup, that's when he would have done it. The fact that he didn't give him, like he, br- he brought him on, but he, he moved to, or sorry, did he start at 10 and then move inside? Mm, yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so if you, if you that was the perfect game if you wanted to give him 20 minutes, and he didn't, so I think it's, now is not the time for experimentation. You've done all your pre-World Cup matches, you've got your two minnows out of the way, everything is set now, I think, barring two or three injuries in the one position Ireland have done their experimenting yeah and uh, so we can't talk about the Ireland-Romania game without talking about the 90,000 people at Wembley or close to it a new Rugby World Cup match attendance record what was the atmosphere like for all these there? very good (laughs) (laughs) Um, better than on this pod anyway yeah um, I suppose I'll step up 
it was kind of like a party atmosphere. I mean, the, like I said before, the weather was fantastic. It really was a great time to go and watch a match. Like I'm sure the players didn't appreciate the the temperatures, but um, from, from a fan's point of view, it really was fantastic. Um, Wembley's a nice arena, and Ireland <laughs> Ireland travelled in big numbers, and they just they got behind the team and they got to see a few scores. So yeah, that's positives. I wouldn't really say it was the best atmosphere, just because. It wasn't really a competitive match. I mean, Romania did quite well early on, considering they had a midweek game. Um, but once Ireland got in front, it was just it was kind of comfortable, and the fans knew that, which meant that the atmosphere was more party-like than than tense and dramatic. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and, uh, since we've been to both Wales and London now, Millennium Stadium and Wembley. I kind of preferred what was going on in Cardiff. I think it's a lot smaller. It's a lot better for the rugby anyway and the atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. I think the way it's built where it's much steeper on the side rather than Wembley, which is much more kind of sloped. You're, you're, you can, if you're in the back sections of stands, you're much further away in Wembley. I think the roof helps as well. In the Millennium Stadium, when it's closed, all the noise, all the sound, all the atmosphere stays in the stadium and, and you can get a real a roar up that you we just didn't get at Wembley yeah it'll be good for France now in a couple of weeks um, but before we have France we have Ireland v Italy um, will this be the full strength team returning yeah for Ireland well bar the, the couple of names that we've mentioned with Jared Payne and Carney missing out I think it'll be pretty close to full strength at least for the first 50 or 60 minutes or so and then I'd imagine us to have enough of a lead that Joe can flood the bench and yeah give a few players a rest with an eye on the French game the following week yeah and uh, do you think Parise will be fit to start or will he uh, play I believe a wise man on this pod a few months ago said that Parise would be back for the Ireland-Italy game and <laughs> I'm going to second those thoughts and say Parise will probably start the game at the weekend could he last 80? he he could probably last 80 whether he's his, uh, his effective best is another thing yeah um He's, he's played a lot of games in France. He's he's a very fit and capable player for going 80 minutes, but it's a big ask for someone coming off an injury to, co- to come up against a side as, as skilled as Ireland will be. And like I said, if Ireland are using subs, then he's going to have to play against two players possibly in that position. Yeah, true. But he's, uh, I suppose, he, he's their only world-class player, though. It will lift the team by that 5-10%, even him just being named on the team. He is. I mean, he could, he could walk into a, a lot of the upper class teams in the in the World Cup. It's just. I'd say he's like a Lions tour if he was eligible. Oh, I would. I would say so. Whether, whether he's a starter now is up for debate. But he's he's a world class number eight and has been for a number of years. And he's been playing in the Huntington Cup for quite a few years as well. And he never looks out class when he comes up against another number eight. Yeah. True. Um. Last week, just before we went away to watch Ireland, we watched England against Wales. Um, would you say that's up there one of the matches of the tournament so far? Up there with South Africa and Japan? Um, <clears throat> I'd say from a, a, a spectacle point of view, yeah. I think it was a very tense, very exciting game to watch. I think from a technical point of view, I'd, like if, you're, if you're looking for a free-flowing, brilliant rugby to watch, the Wales-Fiji game today was is, is what you've... It's the game you'd market to someone who'd never seen a game before. It was end to end. It was. Try, was it? Say again, three. The eighty-five meter try in that game for Fiji. 
yeah, as in that game had everything. It had huge hits. It had free flowing rugby. It had fantastic hands. It had end to end. Like it was just, it was a super match. The English Wales game was more for purists, and it all came down to as soon as everyone saw the team Lancaster had picked, where he brought back Farrell, he brought in Burgess, although Joseph was injured, but as soon as he saw the 15 he'd picked, he knew exactly what kind of game it was going to be, and just a matter of could England grind out the win. Which Speaking of uh, Burgess, did you see that uh, Gordon Darcy was very critical of him in the Irish Times this week? Well, he was critical of him, but I think he's more critical of the English setup, where they just didn't give him enough time. Yeah, he was like the points. He, it was a very good article actually, but the points he oh, made excellent. were. It was a very valid point. Love yeah, the, point, the point he made was that he's not ready at this level. He they weren't saying that he's not good enough. He he wasn't saying that Burgess is a bad player. He was simply saying that you can't convert a rugby league player to a number twelve or number thirteen in less than a calendar year. And yeah. people and and he's one hundred percent right. Oh, spot on, exactly. Yeah, um, the game also kind of went down to Rob Shaw's poor decision making at the end there uh, it's not the first time he's done that no but um, I think that decision has kind of overshadowed the fact that we knew England were going to play this kicking game and and try and mess the game up but they still had the majority of the ball the majority of the chances Rob Shaw made the key mistake at the end um, but throughout the team they made mistakes at, at key moments I mean they really should have been out of sight. That uh, bigger shouldn't have had a chance at that kick. They should have been so far behind. England outpowered Wales, but Wales just outsmarted them in the end. Yeah, very very valid point. Uh, Rob Shaw's decision obviously made the most headlines because it was right at the death and because he's done it before. But as you mentioned, there was mistakes throughout the team. Yeah, I, we like we were like you said, we were sitting in in my house watching the match and. I turned to Stephen and said, "He's not going to go for the points. Like, th- there's too much arrogance in that team. As like, we're England, we win at home, kind of thing. That like, they were never going to accept a point. I just, I just felt that they were always going to go for it. And it was just a case of whether they could get it. And uh, on this case, they couldn't. Yeah. So that makes their game against Australia now this Saturday a must-win game. Um, it'll be the first time a host nation won't make it out of the group stages if they lose. Yeah. Well. Gary was going around Sandyford today giving out Australia jerseys trying to drum <laughs> fans for the match. <laughs> He's a third supporter of Australia now, is he? I've no problem admitting that. I, I said a couple of weeks ago I couldn't see England getting out of the group and I'll stick by that. Yeah, to be honest, I, I had the same thoughts. When the group was first made, I was very tempted to put a bet on England not to make it out of the group. Now, as I got closer to the World Cup and Welsh lost half their starters to injury, I kind of I tempered that idea, but you just never, you never feel comfortable with this England team under pressure. They're very good at racking up points. They're very good at starting games, but if they're within seven with with five ten minutes to go, you just don't trust them like you would New Zealand, like you would Australia, and in recent times Ireland. Yeah, um, the teams were announced today. Australia have named the same fifteen as their opening game of the tournament, and English do recall. England do recall Jonathan Joseph, but uh, Farrell keeps his place as well. Um, any any thoughts on the whole team selection? The only one I'm surprised with for Australia is that Drew Mitchell isn't in there. I thought he's whenever he's played, he's done well. He scored a couple of tries, so I thought he would have 
I thought he would have been in with a shout to start, but the rest, the rest is as you'd expect. Yeah, I think they're go they're going a pretty similar route to the Irish team, whereas you have your starting fifteen and you have the rest of your squad, and the starting fifteen is the starting fifteen unless there's injuries. Like I think Ireland will stick with the fifteen they had on the pitch against and um, against the Canadians, unless injuries hit. I think Australia have done the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Gary. The the one for me is that Drew Mitchell in the number eleven slot. I think he looked very good at the weekend, and I'd have attempted to go at him. Um, do, you, do you have but a other second? Than that, I think it's pretty much as you'd expect. Like Quade Cooper was good with ball in hand, but he missed far too many kicks, so it's no surprise that uh, Bernard Foley's back in. Yeah, do you have Drew Mitchell in your fantasy rugby team there, Chris? <laughs> I had him in for, for last week and then I decided to take him out when he was dropped. Um, good management, I'd call it. Good management, very good. Um, you mentioned the Wales-Fiji game earlier. Um, one of the Fiji wingers, Namani Nadolo, I think I got that right, uh, was banned for this game um, for a tackle for around the neck, going around the neck. Uh, Wood for England did the same thing, didn't get banned. Are the Tier 1 teams treated differently to the Tier 2 teams, do you think? Yes, even watching. Simple answer, yeah. Yeah, no, even watching the game tonight. There's a couple of calls where the Canadians were penalised for things, and the Canadians got a yellow card for stuff that if the French had done, the ref would just give a penalty. I think it's happened a number of times. It happened with Romania against France as well in our group, in France's France's opening game, where if that had been a French defender, there was no way he'd even he'd gone off for his first defence. It's just, it's. I think it's unfair to say the referees have a bias towards the Tier 1 teams because I don't think it's intentional. But they're used to refereeing them. They know how they play. And if you know a player does a certain thing and he does it again, he won't penalise them to the extent where he would have done if it was a Tier 2 player. He doesn't know. Interesting, yeah. Interesting. Anyone else have opinions on it? I, I just think it's, it's unavoidable. It happens in football. The, the referees that are Reffing the same players over and over again, like whether they intentionally do it and not Howard Webb, they can um, fall into <laughs> patterns. And yet, the, when it comes to a 50 50 decision, the big side, and more often than not, probably gets it. Oh, and that part of that could also be smarts where they're used to things like if it is a 50 50 and the, the tier one team is knows that if they appeal for the referee or if they act in a certain way say if it's a breakdown if they do something to make it look as though they're the one in the right and that and that, and that the, the tier two players in the wrong and the tier two players just haven't learned how to do that i think it, it, could, it could even be something as simple as that just play the ref yeah exactly like we, we know from irish history in the last few years that they've had to tailor their game whenever wayne barnes in charge of a game and i think the tier two teams have enough to worry about just trying to compete with the tier one team without having to compete with the referee as well. Yeah. Um there's another big game this Saturday as well, South Africa v Scotland. Um is this a bit of a free hit for Scotland, do you think? They would have targeted their final game against Samoa as a must win to get out of the group. Like they would have thought South Africa would walk the group. So is this a bit of a free hit for them? Or is this because South Africa lost against Japan, Scotland, if they beat South Africa could be guaranteed to get out of the group. I think Scotland know that regardless of what happens uh, at the weekend, they'll still be in the top two going into the last game. 
and I suppose if they were if they were given a a shootout with Samoa at the start of the tournament, they'd have, I don't know if they can or if they'd have expected it, but it could end up being the case. So it is a free play, like you say. If they beat South Africa, they're true. Um, but if they lose, they're still in second place. So they've got nothing to lose, and we'll see if that is reflected in their play. Yeah, will, will they play all their big guns, or will they rest them for Samoa? I think they have enough time in between games that they can look forward to go and attack South Africa. I think they've seen that it's probably not going to make a huge amount of difference if they play first or second, or if they finish first or second. I think the difference between England, Wales and Australia is is minimal. It's, it's not like it's Group C where you, where you avoid the All Blacks. I think no matter who you get in the quarterfinals, they're going to have a chance. So first or second isn't that important. So while they might rest them, I think I think this is a because it's a free hit. I'd personally go all out, go all attack, and then if after if at half time it's not working, then shut up shop and rest. You see, that, you see it as a bit of a free hit for Scotland. Yeah, I would do. Yeah. Okay. Very good. We will now move on and have a chat about all the football that's been going on over the past week. So as there were a couple of surprises in the Premiership last weekend, so we can start there. And what better place to start than the opening game of the weekend? So uh, Spurs v City, 4-1. Uh, Gary, do you want to talk to this entertaining game? I know we watched it up here in my house. Yeah, it was a surprising result by, by all accounts. No one could have predicted this. Like Spurs were struggling to score goals. City up until the West Ham game looked like they weren't going to be beaten and hadn't conceded a goal so for for this result to happen and especially with City going one up early on we even said ourselves that we thought if City got another one before half time they could have easily run away with it and the score could have been reversed but Spurs just outplayed them in the second half and Harry Kane got off the mark and broke his duck for the season um, Spurs, look, Spurs look very good going forward and City's defence uh, it shows without uh, company especially that they're, they're actually quite weak at the back I know Zabaleta is coming back and company's coming back but when they're not playing they don't have a, a reliable back four and to another point then as well with Aguero up front he wasn't getting much service and Spurs just Spurs nullified him out of the game they kept him very quiet Sterling didn't do much and De Bruyne De Bruyne was kept very quiet as well in the second half, so Spurs played them very well. Yeah, um, what about the offside goals? Three three offside goals, I believe, in the game. The officials didn't cover themselves in small, glory. Small detail to leave out there, Gary. Yeah, just a small detail <laughs> there, Gary. Uh, I, knew, I knew it would come back around at some point. In fairness, these things do even themselves out over the course of a season, so I'm expecting Spurs to have a couple of Offside goals against them soon. Don't worry. And uh, yeah, Lamella had, did have a pretty good game, but um, don't, his goal wasn't one of the offside ones, was it? I don't think so. No, his one was onside. Yeah, Harry Kane, De Bruyne, and uh, Eric Dyer—they're all involved in the offside goals. Um, Alder Vierald's goal, Willy Caballero could have done a lot better for that one, especially. Do you think Joe Hart would have saved that or not messed up? Yeah, I think Joe Hart would have done a lot better with that. Like, you couldn't fault Caballero for the other three, but that one it was, it was almost like suicide. He just, 
he ran out, thought about punching it, and then stopped halfway and eventually left himself in no man's land and Alderweireld had an open net. Okay, yeah, and how do you think about Lamella taking his goal? He's he's one of those players I've I liked him when he was at Rome and when he got the move to the Premiership I was hoping he'd do well and a, a lot like what the hype Aquilani had when he went from Roma to Liverpool as well, like a lot expected of him and he hadn't delivered. It was his best game for Spurs in, in a long time, so hopefully he'll kick on from that. But the goal itself, what do you think of it? Oh. oh the goal itself was very well taken. He um he lost Demichael as well and um left himself the easy goal then to tap into essentially in a, an open net. Very good, cool, cool. Uh, moving on there, Stephen, you normally get these nil all games. <laughs> exactly. So um, we decided this time to give you a seven goal thriller, so Leicester, Leicester v Arsenal. Yeah, it was an okay game. Um, <laughs> nah, it, it was superb. Um, I think it was the highest number of shots in a match this season, possibly even, even including the last season. Um, Leicester started very well. Um, early chance of Vardy, good save from the keeper, and then after 12 minutes, Leicester counter attack. Um, then left hand side, Vardy gets it about 30 yards out, cuts inside, and just drills a shot past the keeper. And at that stage, you thought Leicester could have kicked on, but Arsenal very quickly kind of turned the tide. Did it. Walker had a chance a few minutes later and then five minutes later Sanchez plays him through he's just onside um, well, well with the keeper just makes the path I think Michael got it a small touch but in off the post and from then on Arsenal just they just grew and grew I think Sanchez scored after 32 minutes and with, and he was super a wall game and um, ball fell to him 60 yards out after a, a couple of deflections and he took his goal brilliantly and then Second half comes and he scores two more. Um, one of them is a, a, a brilliant ball from Oatsville, dinked over the top. Keeper comes out, but he's nowhere near it. And Sanchez heads past him. And then with 10 minutes to go, he basically kills the game with a contest with a magnificent 30 yard strike. Um, at that stage, 4 1 up, Barcelona kind of relaxed a bit. Lesser get one back with, with Verdi second. A very composed finish by him. And then Arsenal grab one with Giroud in the 93rd minute. Um, Arsenal looked very good. I think we all we we didn't see this coming. I think our predictions were were draws or very close wins. I like no one saw Arsenal opening up. But I think with Sanchez back on form, this would be the start of one of those Arsenal runs where they get right back into it and then and fade off towards the end again. Yeah, although I'm hoping obviously this it doesn't start this Sunday, but you never know. Vardy seems to be the informed player at the moment, or certainly. English player in the Premiership anyway. Yeah, like, like he first, I suppose I first kind of spotted him when he scored either two or three against Man United last season, and he had a superb game just tormenting the defence. Now, I I don't think uh, Blackett has, has ever been the same since. <laughs> he was he was just it's one of those things where he well, he he just was too young to know what to do with Vardy, who has huge level of um, championship and League One experience. I think he'll have. He's not going to cause too many or too too many teams trouble when it gets to national level. He might get two or three goals, but I can't see him. He'd be in the Premier League right now, and he could have a very good season. But I don't think he's he's anywhere near that kind of 
15, 20 international goal level. Yeah. And um, Walcott and Giroud both scored for Arsenal. Who plays up front for the game this weekend? Sanchez, probably. <laughs> I, I, I think he'll... The fact that it's at home means you take away a lot of Walcott's pace. I think Manchester United are going to be happy to sit back, which is not going to give Walcott or, or Chamberlain, if he, if he plays, a lot of space. I think... You need the target man, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think having seen Blind struggle a little bit with Baba Gomes a couple of weeks ago, and, and again with Pelle against Southampton, I'd personally go Giroud, even though I, I don't think he's as good a player as Walcott. I think horses for courses, you pick Giroud. Yeah. Cool. Um, moving on, Chris. The dancing man is back, yeah. He certainly is. Um, a smile to your face. Very, very happy to see him. Um, and Liverpool back to the the team of two years ago in terms of great going forward and always willing to let one in at the other end. <laughs> um, Gisted, we just don't seem to know how to play against them. I'm pretty sure he he got the move to Villa off his performances for Blackburn against us last season, and we just had no answer to him. But you have to say that the two goals from Sturridge um, are absolutely fantastic, especially the first one, the little link up with uh, with Coutinho, and then the first time volley at the outside of the foot, and it really was just a sight to behold. Cracking goal. Um, and Milner, in fairness, he, his goal was very well taken after just two minutes. Um, I'm not sure um, what what Tim Sherwood will think about it. He did have a lot of space at the edge of their box, but it was a very well hit shot on his left foot. I mean, no chance really for uh, Guzan. And Liverpool played very well. Um, like I said, just those lapses in, in defence. Um, Gisted had another chance in the first half. Not a great chance, but he'll be he'll be disappointed he didn't hit the target. Um, it just looks like if, if we're going to play with the, the two up top like we did with Ings and Sturridge, and they did show a partnership that we just don't know how to organise our defence. But in saying all that, it's our first win in six, so it's hard not for me to be happy about this at the end of the day. And just hoping that we can build on it now and keep the two up, up but maybe just try and share things up at the back. Get Sacco a partner and just play the two of them every game. Sacco's our best defender. Um, I think Klein and Moreno will just need to, to work a little bit to be a bit more, more defensively responsible, but going forward, the two of them give us great options down the wing. Cool, yeah. Um, Rudy Gestead. You say he plays he always seems to play well against us. Can he do enough for Villa to like replace the goals Benteke got him? Well he's already got is it four? Yeah. So he's he's doing well. He I think he was the top headed goal scorer in all four divisions last year, so it's not difficult to see what his strengths are. Like if you put the ball in the box in the right areas, like he's gonna score goals and call def- cause defenders problems. I think that the problem for Villa is they they were looking pretty decent defensively early on with, with Mika Richards in there, but they've just started to leak goals lately, and they're not a team that's going to be scoring three or four every game, so they're going to need to get get some of them clean sheets back if he's going to keep them up. He can't do it by himself. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, speaking of a team that uh, probably won't be able to stay up, Gary, you, you, you looked at United Sunderland for us. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great result, obviously, for United to send them, send them top of the table after City losing against Spurs. Yeah, first but time was, in over two years now. Yeah, enjoying being top of the table at the moment. Hopefully, it will last till right through to May. But the the game was at, as you'd expect. Sunderland started off as as you thought, just the the one striker up front, and they tried to pack the midfield and play on the break. But it was only it was only ever going to end with a United win. Memphis got his first league goal for United with a, a well taken well taken first goal. Great pass from Lind into Mata to set that one up. Rooney is another one who broke his duck with a, a very lucky second goal. <laughs> set up by uh, Martial and then Mata Mata finished it off with a great goal and I know a lot of a lot of people the hype has been around Martial since he's come in and had the good start but Mata's done incredibly well for United so far this season a lot of the, the play going forward has been going through him and it's and it was evident again last night with his pass for Smalling's goal yeah he's, he's doing I think he's got three and four now for United Um so Gary, do you think Depay should have done better when Martial put him through? Yeah, he should have done a lot better. He had two two options really for that. He could have either tried to round the keeper or play it back into Martial to play to finish it off into an open net. But um, he's only he's only new to the league. He's learning, so you'd expect within five or six games now he'll he'll finish it off better and as he'll be more used to the league. Cool. Um. Moving on there, Stephen. Like we said, you normally get the nil all draws. This you got to draw this time. Uh, it wasn't a boring nil all. Newcastle Chelsea. No, it really wasn't. Um, a two all draw. Chelsea just can't seem to buy a win. Um, even in Europe, they they seem to be struggling, but there's no obvious reason for it. The players were there. I think I think the best example of what happened is Ivanovic. He's gone from. I think he was in the Premier League team of the year last year and first six games of the season so far and he just looked looked like he's a championship player, never mind a Premier League player. Um Diego Costa was banned retrospectively so he's out for this game. Um both teams share chances in the first half. Perez had a shot saved and then ball came back to Yanma and again saved. Fabregas had a strike from distance, another good save from Cruel. And looked like half time was gonna go on go in nil all until a cross came in from thirty five yards out on the Newcastle right wing towards Ajoy Perez and Ivanovic and Zuma both decide to not try and tackle him. I don't know what happened. Zuma seemed to jump and then stop jumping. The ball falls in between both defenders, Perez controls it. For both of them, but I think I think Ivanovic Probably thought Zoom was going to get there. Not sure that he still should have been on his toes ready, but yeah, I think whoever's in the f- in front, who in this case it was Zuma, he has the obligation because Vanovic can't get around in time. I think, yeah, Zoom was just it was it was naive defending. I think he just got completely lost under, under the ball, didn't know what he was doing. I think it was a fake call from the Newcastle striker. <laughs> if it was, it was superb, but he controlled it well. That's a lot of the past. It's in football, eh? Yeah, well, look, you do what you need to do. I think Chelsea are the last team who can complain about ethics in football, <laughs> having seen Costa's performance against Arsenal. Um, 
yes, Newcastle, Newcastle go in 1-0 up. Fans are buoyed. Everyone's happy. And then, just on the error mark, again, shocking defending from Chelsea. There's no other way to put it. This is the most unreal of, of defences. Um, corner comes in, Perez with an assist as well as, as his goal. Vinaldo just makes a run in front of Ivanovic and by the time he gets to the ball, these two guys are spaced around him. Very, very well-slotted header in the corner, past keeper and Newcastle are, are flying. Um, Reno then made a triple substitution. Um, on came Oscar, Ramirez and within, within 10 minutes of the substitution, Ramirez got to go back um, but while cross field to Hazard he what looked like a miscontrol I think it was a miscontrol cuts inside the defender lays it off to Ramirez and hits a beautiful strike from 30 yards um, at that stage he thought Chelsea might go on and win it they got a goal they got their equaliser back Ormond's go free kick from William a very good I can't remember who the run was but run straight in front of Cruel and distracts them just enough that Cruz doesn't get in the way of the side well, of the ball. That's awful ones for keepers, isn't it? Yeah, it's one that I think, personally, I always feel the keeper should follow the side of the ball. And if someone touches it past them, then there's not much he can do. Now, it did... Uh, it, it may even have been Ramirez again, but there's a runner, he's about three yards in front of him, and it looks, for all intents and purposes, as though he is going to hit a pass curl, but he leaves it just in time, Cruz in no man's land, and it's 2-0. And... Um, they had one more chance in injury time to score to a winner. Cruel a very good save from a header from Ramirez again. He really had a good a good uh, second half. But Chelsea dropped two more points and they're eight points off United. Yeah, uh, John Terry was dropped this game. Was this game not ideally suited for him? Rather than playing quick defenders, Newcastle are more about kind of lumping the ball up. Well, I, I don't think this is necessarily to do with... Her. I think earlier with Giroud and Horace, of course, I think Terry is just, he's not the first choice in her half anymore. I don't think Mourinho is not someone who's going to chop and change every single game, depending on who you're playing, especially a back four. He'll only do it if they're not, if they're not performing. Um, so it's and Cahill now? Well, it it would have been. <laughs> I haven't seen this game, I'm not so sure. Um, I think he wants to give Zoom and Cahill a run at it and see if if they can form a partnership because he knows now he has to plan without John Terry. I think if you bring Terry back in, it's, to be honest, it probably is the right thing to do, providing Terry gets back to a decent level of performance because him and Cahill were, were so good last year, but the reason Terry wasn't starting was because he had a bad start to the season, so if you're Marino, you've headaches because the one player you would like to bring in there would be Ivanovic, but he's had an awful start to the season as well, so... It seems as though whoever he has to slot in there just isn't isn't going to perform right now. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a fair point. All right. Um, looking at the last game that we're going to review now is the last game that was on that weekend, and Chris, you got a five-goal thriller here, West Brom and Everton. Yeah, um, a little bit of entertainment while we waited for the flight in a Stansted. <laughs> um, pretty much came out of nowhere to be fair I mean we were watching the, the first half and it was just like a, a couple of little chances at either end but nothing really that suggested we were going to get five goals um, until just before half time when Berahino was, was played in and he finished quite well um, probably I, I wouldn't say against the run of play but it probably should have been nil all at half time I don't think either side had done enough to, 
to be ahead but West Brom got themselves in front and they came out in the second half and got got a second goal pretty quickly um, Dawson scoring within within 10 minutes of the restart and 2-0 up for West Brom at home at Tony Pulis side and you thought this was it um, and then it was the, the Romelu Lukaku show pretty much <laughs> Um he, I wouldn't say he had his best game, but he was just so much of a physical presence that they just really struggled. I mean, he he pulled a goal back, and and then I think he he assisted Kone to to level things up. And at that stage, we were, we were heading down to the gate for our flight, and the three of us kind of huddled around the uh, the Sky Go app on my phone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think we all knew it was, it was likely to be a, a matter of time where Everton got the winner, and. Lukaku was the one who popped up again and this one was a very scrappy goal he had a couple of lights that I think the keeper saved it and it kind of ricocheted back out to him he just kind of bundled it into the net but it was just a sign of, of what a nuisance he was that even though he, he didn't get the cleanest to strike he he was just too much for West Brom to handle and he really came back to haunt his old side and it's a great win for Martinez and everything going into the derby um, unfortunately it should make for a good game on Sunday anyway uh, yeah, well, both both sides won three two, so you know what that means. The nil all drawn. Stephen, <laughs> they'll be yours for next week, no doubt. No uh, worries, no worries. I'll. But, uh, I suppose since we started talking about this weekend's game, just have a quick preview of some of the games that are coming up. So the first one I wanted to look at was the uh, Bournemouth v Watford, two promoted teams playing each other. Um, looking at this game, I would have thought I would have leant towards Bournemouth now, but with Callum Wilson out for six months. That's a huge loss for Bournemouth and their survival hopes in this league, to be honest. Yeah, the the main goal tried out for for six months. It's it's the kind of injury you'd say a team like Bournemouth can't get away with. Um, it's like it would be the equivalent. I mean, I know Austin didn't keep um, QPR, but he gave them a chance. And with with uh, Wilson gone, maybe even Bournemouth's chances gone. Um, like you say, I would have been edging towards a Bournemouth win, but. With with the injury news, I think this could be a a nil all draw and Watford getting back to their clean sheets. Yeah, I, I just think like I know it's only just just gone October now, but even at this early stage of the season, it, it, this could be awful for Bournemouth. I'm not as negative. I think the fact that they picked up Glenn Murray in the last day of the transfer window, I think he'll he'll do enough to get them through to January. Where if they're struggling, then they Bring might. Charlie Austin. Charlie Austin or Jermaine Defoe, there was rumours linking him. I think if they have enough money and Sunderland look look in trouble, they, they might try and bring him in. I'd say the Defoe one is more likely. I'd, I'd imagine Bournemouth would have to be in a, a pretty strong position before they'd fork out the, the money for Charlie Austin. Is it 15 million? Yeah. So, yeah, you'd, you'd imagine that they'd need to be pretty close to being safe. To, to put a, a 15 million bid in because if they, if they were to end up going down then they're either going to have the same problem QPR had offloading them or else they're they're um, they're going to be stuck paying his wages in the championship and I think as time has showed Premier League players being paid uh, Premier League wages when the clubs are in the championship is, is not a model for success with the likes of Portsmouth and Leeds and other clubs that have just plummeted yeah, very yeah true. no, it's, it doesn't make it, it. wouldn't make good reading if they did that, all right. Yeah, so Defoe could be the the better choice, all right. Looking at another game, City Newcastle. 
uh, City are hoping to have a few of their big guns back. Joe Hart, Vincent Company, David Silva, Yaya Torre. Um, but they've lost the last two games now. Are City there for the taking for Newcastle or is this just going to be a routine City win? You'd think that, that City has to have a backlash. Um, having lost the last two games and being at home. I think if this was opened in St James's Park, then I could see Newcastle having a very strong performance and possibly nicking a point like they did last week. But I think with City at home, I think with the last minute winner in the Champions League, that should get them give them back some bit of confidence. And City should win it, I think, reasonably comfortably. Okay, cool. Um, looking at the champions who have had an awful start the title defence it's the Chelsea and Southampton this is Chelsea have made their second worst start have made the second worst start to a title defence in history only Blackburn in 94-95 had a worse start and this is Chelsea's worst start in the Abramovich era like this today is 10th v 14 or this this weekend will be 10th v 14th if we looked at these two teams this time last year it was 1st v 3rd what's happened to two of them they've both been losing matches Um. <laughs> pretty much it I mean Chelsea can't defend and Southampton something similar they haven't been the, the sturdy team they were last year um, so you imagine with, with both sides struggling for a bit of form Chelsea being the home side and neither team being great defensively at the moment that Chelsea would probably shade this one um, both teams score yeah I, I've gone for a 2-1 win to Chelsea um, there's there's really no guarantees Um Chelsea have been so poor this season like you mentioned but Southampton have been quite inconsistent themselves and Chelsea have shown little flashes that they're capable and I'd imagine that they'll probably win this one I mean it's the 5.30 kickoff so they'll have a have the TV uh, cameras there and probably Jose rallying the troops for a, a siege mentality at Chelsea again Cool um, the Merseyside Derby on Sunday Everton Liverpool. Last year, this was a nil-all draw. Goodison. What do you got, Chris? I'll turn to you. What do you think? <laughs> um, as I said, two, 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 three, two wins for both of them. Last yeah, year. and and the two big men for both sides. I mean, Lukaku and Sturridge with a brace of pair. Um, you'd say uh, as the two teams have played this year, neither really capable of a clean sheet, but form or lack thereof can go out the window when it comes to a, a Merseyside derby so really, there's no point in kind of looking at who's won their last couple of games it, it really comes down to who's set up best and who goes out and expresses themselves on the day and judging by um, the team we sent out today in terms of we, we rested Sturridge which I think was massive and was the right call? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think I've I've mentioned this before. I'm happy if Sturridge didn't play at all in the Europa League this year. Um, Danny Ings came off after an hour, which I think is an indication that the two of those will start together up front. Benteke won't be back, no? No, I don't think so. He was he was in the stand tonight in his suit, and I think he's still at least a week away. Um, so, yeah, I think Ings and Sturridge have looked quite good together. I'd expect them to, to partner in attack against Everton, and Hopefully he can get us to win. Yeah, um, just Chris, is this the biggest game of the season for Liverpool fans, or no? It's uh, it's definitely United. United still get the nod there, do they? Oh, uh, most definitely. Okay. Um, I think in in recent years Everton have been closer to us, but 
as a whole I wouldn't really consider them a, a threat yeah. they're, they're still a rival but not, not someone I would consider my team to be competing with yeah no fair enough fair enough um, speaking of United two United fans here Gary Stephen United Arsenal United away at Arsenal how do you think this one will go uh, it'll be it'll be a very close game but I I I can't see United I've gone for United uh, 2-1 win in this game I just think Arsenal at the back and it was shown especially the other night in the Champions League their defence is all over the place at the moment Koscielny went off injured early they just they look if if any team can get at them whether it's pace or if I could even see United maybe uh, bring Fellaini on for the last half an hour in this one just have the mix of pace and just him pretty much annoying the centre halves in this game because they don't they don't look good at the back going forward I I couldn't see either Giroud or Walcott being much of a threat to United at the back because Smalling and Blind apart from really like Stephen said but Blind up against Gomis against Swansea they haven't really looked trouble at the back so I'd go United 2-1 on this one yeah, looking at it, I'm having watched both teams play Champions League this week. United, even though they weren't great in the second half, they look a much sturdier team. Arsenal just their defense is just is so weak at times that with United on the counter attack and Martial being able to get in behind, which is something United haven't been able to do in a while. I think if if we hadn't assigned Martial and with Rooney up front, I'd, I'd worry about United being able to create chances on the counter, but if if the pie starts, Marshall starts and you got Mata and possibly Herrera, if if he chooses Herrera over Rooney, which I personally think he should, then you've got the ability to counter that quickly. And against that defence I I can see United getting an early goal and then sitting back and comfortably holding holding Arsenal out before nicking a second. Cool. Uh, just one last thing, as United fans there, it's a big month for United now, October. It's got Arsenal, Palace and Everton away and City at home. Do you think we'll still be top at the end of the month, come come 1st of November? I think if you're being realistic, you'd say no. I think you'd, pro- even though I, I think my United will win at the weekend, I think if you offered, offered them a point right now, they might take it. I think City at home, a point, Palace away, you'd be hoping for three. And then, what's the fourth game? Uh, Everton away. Everton away, tricky, but I actually know. I think they've lost the last two games there. So again, you take a point. I think if you get six points out of those twelve, that's par performance. Um, that would probably leave a second or third in the league and in a decent position to attack over the next two months. A where we don't. Month out of the way. Yeah, it looks as though after that, then you've got I think Watford is the next game, and then you've got a, a nice run where you can pick up maybe 12, 13 from the next 15 available and that's I, I, I think United will beat Arsenal so I think suddenly you're looking at 8 from 12 possibly and if that's the case then I, if you gave me 8 points right now I'd bite your hand off Yeah, Chris just going back to your Liverpool game would you take a point now? Um, no I don't I think we've we've dropped some, some points against the smaller teams and I would say that there are bigger teams that we'd have to play that if, if we were going to drop points it would probably be against them I think we need to start beating the teams that are say 
from sixth downwards if we're going to try and claw our way back into Champions League contention. So, no, I, I wouldn't be taking a point against Everton. Cool. And just one final game to look at is Swansea v Spurs. Um, this is two teams that have contrasting starts this season. Swansea started brilliantly. Spurs started quite slowly. Now Spurs seems to be one of the form teams and Swansea are struggling. Uh, I've got here the Spurs in their first three games only got three points. They're 9 out of 9 in their last three. Swansea, seven points in the first three games and they won their last three. Can, can, is this going to go to form and away win for Spurs or can Swansea get a bit of form back together themselves? I've got one better stat for you. Spurs have won the last six against Swansea home and away. I'm 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 going with, with Spurs all the way. I think, like you said, that four-one win really kickstarts their season. Gomez and Ayu haven't hit the target in the last few games. I think you have to go with Spurs in this one. Cool. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, just a quick Champions League roundup. Um, English teams didn't seem to be doing great. Two London clubs seem to let them down. Porto winning two-one at Chelsea and Olympiacos. Winning away at Arsenal 3-2. I think that's Olympiacos' first victory in English in 11 attempts. Uh, first in 13, I think. I think they'd lost 12 in a row. Wow. Um, I, I heard a stat that they'd lost their 12 in a row to a, an aggregate score of 37-3. <laughs> so they uh, they doubled their scores against English teams in that one game against Arsenal. Oh, Proud moment for Is Arsene Wenger guaranteed a job? I think if you, if they go out of the group stages, it's a, it's a big question mark. Um, the fact that he's stayed there so long is that he's always delivered top four and got them into the, the knockout stages of the Champions League. So if if he loses the Champions League so early on, he's going to be under massive pressure. But um, that, that fourth place he keeps getting them is a, a saviour for him. It just means the money keeps coming in and everyone in the director side of the club are happy um, but I think one season out of the top four and he may be gone I don't yeah. know if um, I don't know if they'd get rid of him if he kept getting them the, the fourth place like I mentioned yeah Arsenal's next two games in the group are against Bayern Munich so can they get out of the group um, well I, I, I was thinking last night well those two games zero points you'd imagine so six points to get out of a group I don't think so um, yeah They've beaten Bayern before, um, although I think they beat Bayern when Bayern were pretty much through. I mean, Bayern made it a little bit nervy for themselves, but I think they knew they had the game won. It's it's a different case of whether Arsenal can actually beat Bayern when, when they have something to lose and, and Bayern are flying at the moment with uh, Lewandowski scoring whenever he wants. Yeah. Um, so it was a bad night on Tuesday for the London clubs. But the Manchester clubs fared that bit better. Two wins. United beating Wolfsburg 2-1. City beating Mönchengladbach 2-1. City seemed to scrape by, though, a, a goal by Aguero in the last minute of the penalty. Joe Hart also saves the penalty. Yeah, there weren't impressive wins. <laughs> there were two no. wins. I think for City, if you go away and, and pick up three points in against any team in the Champions League, regardless of who they are, it's a very good result and you'll take it. I think United will probably think the exact same thing against against Moscow in the next round. Uh, if you can pick up a point away from home, it's good. If you can pick up three, regardless of your performance, then happy days. I, I didn't get to see the game, but by all accounts, Joe Hart had one of his 
his his games where he just he blocks everything. Um and then Aguero pops up late, nicks three points and and, and Sidia are now back in contention in that group having lost in the opening day. United looked very good when they were behind and as soon as they went ahead they I wouldn't say panicked but they sat back. They took off Schweinsteiger for the for the game against Arsenal on Sunday. Last 15 minutes or so looked to be panicky, I felt. Yeah, I think as, as soon as, as Schwanzeiger went off, they looked a different team. Um, I know they took they took off, they brought on Pereira for Depay. I I think that, that left um, Darmian a little bit more exposed, and a lot of things did come down to the left, but the, the difference, he's only been there two months, but the difference between Schwanzeiger being on the pitch and Schwanzeiger not being on the pitch was huge. Yeah, he, he makes a difference, all right, to the team. Um. Chris, you mentioned Lewandowski there a minute ago. Bayern beat Zagreb 5-0. A hat-trick for Lewandowski. That's 10 goals in three games for him. Yeah, he's uh, he's in a, a spot of form, all right. Um, he, he hasn't really delivered as the standards I expected him to since he's moved to Bayern. I don't know if that, that's a little bit unfair, but I, I just think he was so good at Dortmund that I just felt that he was, got, when he was going to a club that, in fairness... As good as Dortmund were at the time, they, Munich, Munich are that bit above them in terms of the squad they have and the players they can pr- provide from. And he's done he's done well. Like I, I wouldn't say he's been poor. I just was expecting him to be kind of knocking on the door the the world elite, like kind of up there with the likes of Suarez. And he hadn't really delivered that. But in the last couple of games, he he started to score goals for fun. Well, and it's just a, a question of whether he can kick on now. Well, like, further on down here, I have a question about the World Player of the Year award and who can win it. Because, as, like, the next game I was going to have a chat about there was Barcelona. So, Barcelona came from behind. Suarez, excellent winner. But Messi's out for two months for them. With Messi out now, is that him nearly out of the running for this award or does it open up a bit? And you've also got Real Madrid beating Malmo 2-0. Ronaldo, two more goals for Real Madrid. That's a career tally of 501 323 goals from Madrid. He's level with Raul as a club record. Now, he did it eight seasons quicker than Raul, so he, he will go on and smash that. But I was looking at who might win the World Player of the Year award, and Lewandowski did pop into my head. He's the top scorer in Bundesliga, top scorer in the Champions League, top scorer in the Euro 2016 qualifiers. He's having a good year. He certainly is, but I see him as a goal scorer. And I think in the last few years, you need to do more than score goals. You need to pretty much carry your team like the way Messi and Ronaldo have done. Um, I personally see Ronaldo being up there, as I'm sure most of you do. And either Suarez, most likely Suarez or maybe even Neymar are stepping up. I, I personally think that Suarez is going to assume a lot of the responsibility with Messi out. And in, in fairness, he, he's one of the best players in the world I mean I know first hand seeing him at Liverpool what he can do and he's gone on to another level at Barcelona so he'd be my pick to challenge Ronaldo um, but yeah Lewandowski certainly has a shout at maybe getting onto the podium but I, I don't see him getting that top spot yeah well Suarez certainly started anyway but by getting that winner of some finish um, against Leverkusen but um, just when I was looking up there about Lewandowski like He'd certainly get my vote. Like I know you say you have to be a bit more than that, but he's kind of single-handedly given Poland a chance of getting through to the European Championships. He 
uh, Bayern Munich were one nil down and they bring him on he scores five like he's changing games for them well you have, you have to look at when the voting takes place as in if the voting takes place at the end of the calendar year then Messi's not going to have a chance to get back but if you it, does, it takes place in December so Messi I think will be out of people's minds not out of people's minds but he hasn't played for two months of the year I think it takes more, to be honest, I think it takes more than two months of Messi being injured for people to forget what he did last season for for Barcelona. I think, yeah, Lewandowski probably fills in that, that number three slot the way um, I think Robin has filled in that in the past. I think he'll probably pick up that number three, but it'll still be Ronaldo and Messi, and depending on... It'll probably be Messi because of, of Barcelona's performance in the first half of the season. Okay, and one last question, talking about the Champions League. Uh, out of the four English teams, who has the best chance to go first in this year's competition? That's a tough, tough question. Um, if you look at pure talent, I, th- I think it's Man City. Um, if you look at the potential to organise themselves and get them in a position to win knockout games, I think you might look at Man United and the way Van Hal is building this team. Arsenal, I think, are too weak. Chelsea, if they can sort the defence out and they can get their players playing back on form, then you'd say they'd be up there with City. I'd personally go City to go furthest. But if they can't get the cohesion that they have when they have company and Hart and Torre and Aguero together, then I'd probably go for United, maybe quarterfinals. So one of the Manchester clubs in the quarterfinals, that's it, yeah? Well, if City can top their group, and I know they lost to you, they can top their group, they get a favourable draw. They they should have learned enough now in the last few years to know how to play knockout football. And if they can get that one big win, they can go a long way. But it's it's getting that big win that that City haven't done in the past. Cool. Do do I the the other two years have opinions on it? I I'd agree with Stephen. I'd say it'd be one of the Manchester clubs that'll get. They'll get for the furthest. Arsenal won't get out of their group now. Chelsea, Chelsea, I think will be will be runners up in their group. They just they haven't made a good a good start. That game against Porto kind of really showed how out of form they are. So I think they'll probably finish runners up in that group. Um, yeah, like Stephen said, Van Hal is building a a good team at United, and their mistress the defense has obviously a couple of off moments City have the players they just need to come into form so I'd say quarterfinals or semi-finals for the Manchester clubs okay Chris um, I'm not sure um, I think all all three all four teams have one win is it one loss oh, Arsenal have two losses sorry the other three, two losses, yeah. other three have one one a lost one I still have a, a sneaky feeling that if Chelsea can get out of the group and it is an if at the way they're playing at the moment, but if they get to knock out football, they're a completely different team. Um, Man City are great to watch when everything's going well, but I'm still not sure that they have the tactical awareness to to go against the big boys and win. Um, a couple of a couple of opportunities they've had, like in recent years, against the likes of Munich and Barcelona, and they've just been a little bit naive. Like they're very good attacking play in the Premiership against the, the smaller clubs just isn't going to work against Bayern and Barca when you're going to have 
maybe 40% of the ball if you're lucky you just you need to be a lot better defensively than I think City are so for me I'd say it would probably be Chelsea or or maybe even uh, Man United that would go furthest on the on the basis that Van Hal has been there and done it all before um, yeah that that's pretty much it neither of them playing particularly attractive football but very difficult to beat but I would say probably probably quarterfinals at the at the most unless uh, something changes in the in the run up to those games. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a fair point, all right. Um, moving on, back to you again, Chris. Do you want to talk us about what's going on in the world of UFC? Yeah, just a, a couple of things on the Japan fight card at the weekend. The the Josh Barnett v Roy Nelson. Um, the main event was quite entertaining. It was. A unanimous win for uh, Barnett. All three judges gave him the decision. It was quite an entertaining fight, and Nelson did his usual uh, Homer Simpson routine of taking a handsome beating from uh, his opponent, but would not go down. He um, he actually, in fairness to him, he broke his hand on Barnett's head, and Barnett stayed up as well. So two warriors who um, could certainly take a punch, but. Barnett, the, by far the deserved winner on this one. Um, then the, the the other point I just wanted to mention was the the co-main when there was a massive shock. Um, it was Gegard Mousasi who was ranked fifth in the in the middleweight division at the time against Uriah Hall. Um, the, the first round was exactly how I thought it would be. Gegard got um, Uriah down and just beat him up had a couple of submission attempts but Uriah managed to fight them off um, so completely one-sided first round for Gegard and they come out at the start of the second and Gegard I don't know if he got a little bit too confident or what but he he decided he was going to stand with Uriah and that was just dangerous um, Uriah catches him with a lovely spinning kick to the head and he just follows it up uh, Gegard goes immediately for a takedown and Uriah lands him like with a knee right in the forehead as he's trying to catch the takedown and then Uriah jumps all over him with punches and Gegard is, is out on the ground and the referee uh, pulls Uriah off for a stunning win, the biggest win of his career um, yeah I, I was really impressed with Uriah, I did mention before that I thought he was biting off it more than he could chew and maybe if Gegard stick to the, the game plan that would have been the case but one thing that's for sure is Uriah can certainly strike if you if you give him the opportunities, and he's uh, he's got another opportunity now because Michael Bisping has had to withdraw from UFC 193 in Australia. So Uriah Hall is jumping straight back in there to fight Robert Whitaker, and it's going to be his third fight in the last four months. When's that fight taking place? That's taking place uh, November 12th or 14th. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, but six weeks type thing, not not, not a not a long turnaround. No, um, I I don't know. It was he took a little bit of punishment in the first, but it's very much his policy at the moment to to keep going. And like I said, three fights in in four months is impressive. And the chance to be on that Ronda Rousey card, which will gonna break the UFC gate, was one he wasn't willing to turn down. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point, I suppose. Maybe he's, if he's on a bit of a streak, maybe he'll keep it going. Yeah, exactly, and he he's gonna have. Plenty of eyes watching him, plenty of chances to to build up his popularity. And if he if he was to rattle off another win again, Robert Whitaker, which I'd say is a 
a much more manageable fight than I mean Robert's a good fighter but I would say he's not on the level of Gegard so you'd probably think that Uriah may even be favoured after his last win interesting interesting uh, thanks for that as always and uh, Stephen Gary what's going on in NFL these days well the good teams keep winning and the bad teams keep losing it <laughs> it's going Pat- form is it yeah um, Patriots Packers Broncos Cardinals all go 3-0 as, as pretty much expected Cardinals looking particularly good scoring 100 points in their first three games joined by the Bengals who tend to do well in in the regular season before collapsing as soon as they get anywhere near a playoff game Panthers and Falcons that's the Panthers you'd expect it they've been they have a relatively nice division last year I think they won it with I think it was 7, 8 and 1, so they, they didn't even have a winning record before going to the playoffs. And the Falcons have started superbly. Um, four, teams still, sorry, four teams still haven't got a win on their belt. And four teams who all have been close enough to the playoffs in the last few years. So the Ravens, Lions, Bears and the Saints. And as I think I've said before, only three teams in the last 20 years have gone 0-3 to start this season until they made the playoffs. So already... Their their postseason run looked to be over. Um, the Falcons had a big win. Um, they they won by eleven over the Cowboys in Dallas Stadium. Now the caveat there is that Tony Romo wasn't playing, so their backup was Brandon Whedon, who is, let's just say, if it's a if you gave the four of us six weeks, we'd probably be better quarterbacks than Brandon Whedon. But um, I was just going. I was just going to thanks for reminding me of that score. It was bad enough that there was no Des Bryant. Now there's no Tony Romo as well. Yeah, the Cowboys. The only, the only saving grace for the Cowboys is that in their division, they have no one who's going to go eleven and five, twelve and four. I think if if the, if Romo comes back and the and the Cowboys go nine and seven, that should be enough to win the division and get them into the playoffs. Um, other notable scores: Oakland Raiders got a big win for them on the road against the Browns. Looks like the Raiders might actually be competitive this year. Um, I, was about to, I was about to ask you, what do you think has made the, the Raiders so competitive this season? I know the signing of Crabtree for them was huge, but they they look a completely different team from what we know the last couple of seasons. Well, I, I think a couple of seasons ago they had a huge amount of, of well, not, not debt, but their salary cap issues were huge where they had to get rid of a lot of players. They tried the quick stop gap by bringing in a couple of veterans on short-term deals that didn't really work. But last year they got their quarterback. They got their car. He settled. He's playing very well this season. Um, he gave an interview. People were, were saying he had a very good first season, but he came out and said he was terrible and that he has to improve, and he has improved. Um, and Mary Cooper has been a huge asset to them already. And just they're a team who it takes a couple of years to go from being a bad team to being a good team. And the Raiders have. The results haven't been there, but they have been getting progressively more competitive over the last maybe 18 months, two years. And now I think this is the season where you'll, and they mightn't get, get beyond 7 and 9. They're in a, they got the Chiefs, the Broncos, and the Chargers in their division. They'll probably still lose 4, four of those 6. So I can't see them making a playoff run, but they're building for the future. Um, so you, can see, you can see them coming out of this transition stage now, and this is the first season out of the transition. Um, I think no. This is probably the last season. I think this is probably if they get a good draft next season, they'll be competitive. I think the Chargers are, unless they improve 
over the next 12 months, I think the Chargers are on a downward spiral with Rivers aging and there looks to be no leaders coming in to replace them. I think Chiefs are there, thereabouts. Broncos are going to lose um, Manning this season. I think they're going to have to go through a couple of years of rebuilding, having built their whole team to win last year and this year. If they don't win this year, I think you're going to see a lot of, of, of salary cap issues in Denver. So you could see the Raiders coming second possibly next year to the Chiefs, but I think this year is one season too early for them. Okay. Um, I suppose one thing I'm going to mention is I tipped Bills to to go down to Miami and, and turn over the Dolphins, but I think no one expected it to be 27-0 at the half and a 41-14 win. They were dominant. Dolphins had no answer to them. I think the Bills really do look like a good team. You know, they probably aren't going to win their division because the Patriots look so strong. Um, Brady throwing his 400 touchdown, them getting 51 points against Jacksonville, but that the AFC doesn't look particularly strong right now. For and it's, it's probably too early to say, but in the wildcard slots, I'd say 10 wins should get you probably 5th seed, if not 6th seed, and the Bills look well on their way. Sorry, I meant just to go back to the Dolphins there. I meant to say, what did you make of Ryan Tannehill and Colin Kaepernick's uh, respective games with 49ers lo- losing 47-7, and as you said, the Bills 41-14 over the Dolphins. But I think combined there was 15 interceptions between the two quarterbacks at the weekend. Yeah, I think turnovers are... There's a stat where if your turnover differential is is negative 2, then you just don't have a hope of winning a game. When it's negative 7.5, if you average those two out, <laughs> yeah. 49ers look in disarray. I know they have one win this year, but with all the upheaval they've had over the last year, year and a half, with Alton Smith, with... Um, Mike Arbaugh, who left to go coach college football, with Tom Sula coming in, with so many players retiring, with their, I think their first pick of last year's draft has already retired because of fears of, of concussion issues. So they've lost so many players that the turnaround, they're going to struggle for the next few years. Kaepernick's going to have to find a way to get them in in contention with games because the Cardinals are a very good team, so losing to them isn't an embarrassment but losing to them by 40 points really is and could you see it get to a stage where Kaepernick will will leave the 49ers in the next maybe at the end of this season no I can't see I can't see him leaving them I can only see the 49ers drafting and and you got her back now I think it's it's I think Kaepernick is a special talent he just needs to learn I think he was he was I can't Possibly Kurt Warner was the coach, but he, he in his off season he went out and and worked out for I think two two straight months with Kurt Warner to improve his his drawing technique because his footwork is is superb. Like he can break 40, 45 yard runs if he needs to. But the only way Four Niners are going to win Super Bowls with Kaepernick as a quarterback is if is if he can throw 30, 35, 40, 45 in playoff games. And right now he can't do that. And let's be honest, he doesn't have to the wide receiver core or the running back to do that no and that that's what they, they're missing this year that no Frank Gore and Quan Bolden's gotten obviously a bit older so they've got they've got Jared Jared Hain there but as far as I know he's only on special teams at the moment he, he's not getting a proper run out yeah Jared Hain is the um, Burgess of, of the American football yeah NRL player 
has converted over. Now he's played very well for for 49ers in, in the preseason games and and got a slot on the 53 man roster. So he's he's obviously doing very very well. But you can't expect players like that to to become superstars in their first year, and he and he won't be. He'll be special teams. He'll get some breakout runs, and that's all you can expect from for this year and probably next year. Um, those the only thing to mention is that the Seahawks got their first win. Um, Camp Chancellor signed up, and they go and beat the Bears twenty six nothing, including hundred and three yard um punt return. Or five, I think it was kickoff return by Lockett, one of the longest in NFL history. Okay, so uh, yeah, we're at the regular end of the show now, so. We'll start off with the bet of the week, as always, and it's Gary's turn to place the bet this week. So we have gone for Crystal Palace to beat West Brom at home at three to four, Man City to beat Newcastle at two to nine on. Sunderland are playing West Ham, and we're going for West Ham away at Sunderland at thirteen to ten, Leicester away at Norwich at twenty-one to ten, and finally Stoke away at Villa at two to one. A ten-euro bet pays out at four hundred and fifty-seven euro. So that would be nice if we got that for the weekend. <laughs> it would be very nice. Just have, yeah. one lunch in London. Just have a cover of one lunch in London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we won't get them. It would be for Cardiff. So we get dinner in Cardiff. Oh, they'll pay for the whole weekend in Cardiff. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Can't wait to get out of Cardiff. Um, so, a quick fantasy football update from everyone. So, regular one. The average points last week was 46. I got 46. I'm smack on average. In the regular one this week, I'm still in the top 100,000 though, so uh, I'll take that for the moment. And uh, going forward this week, I played my wild card. I decided it had to be done, so I've made about seven changes to the team so far. I'll review it again on Saturday morning before the game start, but uh, I just felt it had to be done. It was time. Yeah, I think once the windows closed, those couple of weeks after that is the best time to use it because you get if you leave it much later, the prices go up and it's not as easy to bring in. Bring in the players who have who are performing. People like Marshall, for instance, and Mata now. Yeah, how would you all get on anyway in the regular, or we just slip over that and move on to the ultimate? Yeah, I'm oh, like straight to the ultimate. Pretty average week yeah. for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll happily move on. Okay. Oh, like I, I had a decent <laughs> week in the regular one. As we said, then we'll move on to the ultimate. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, well, if we're talking about the ultimate, I'm still holding out top of the league. Average of 59 points this week. I ended up at 77. I'll take that. I know, I know a couple of you had uh, Lukaku as captain, did you? Yeah, I thought that was a, a no-brainer, personally. Um, <laughs> I had him in from the very start as captain. I didn't bother picking anyone else. <laughs> mm, somehow I doubt that. Uh, yeah, considering he- I didn't have Lukaku as captain, I'm quite happy to get to those 77 points. I had Sanchez who got me 22 and I did have Lukaku in but not as captain he got me 18 it's a shame we didn't have either of them as captain um, I did go for Martial and he got, he got 7 points double to 14 I decided to leave it at that but uh, Sanchez and Lukaku wouldn't nice and my ultimate team got two players who are also out for the season it seems Wilson and Shaw so I'm kind of stuck with them there till January yeah I've, I've the same problem with Shaw um, yeah and Lukaku I was on 20 something Kaku oh. basically gets me forty points from last week and basically saved my save my week, so I'm I'm forever in debt to one particular belt. Yeah, thirty six points out of sixty two came from Lukaku, so I have a lot of work to do over the next over, few weeks. Over half your points came from one man. 
yeah. Um, my defence got six points in total. Yeah, just a really poor, poor week. Chris, <laughs> you wanted to move on to it. How'd you get on? Yeah, well, I think like like I mentioned previous, it was Lukaku that did the most for me. I got eighty-seven points, which wasn't bad. Um, it was large, largely <laughs> due to Lukaku and Sanchez, who got um fifty-eight between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always nice when it works out like that. Yeah, definitely. It was just as well because there's a fair few ones in there as well. Hazard <laughs> got me an assist and Darmian a clean sheet. So picking up a few points here and there. But I've got a couple of injury problems, like you mentioned. I've got Wilson, Ward, who is serving the, the longest time on the sidelines for a knock in the history of professional sports. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mentioned this previously. He, he must have been knocked by a train. <laughs> because he, he's still not expected back until the 17th of October, which... It's over uh, a month out. Yeah. Was that a broken a leg, no? No. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I'd, like, um, I'd like the people who run the site to give me a little bit more detail on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh... Yeah, very good. And you're all calm about the fancy football as well. I think I'm going to take leaf out of your book and finally use the wild card. Um, I can't let the the standard uh, team keep going the way it's going. Um, yeah, it's time for changes. But I, I've said that a couple of weeks in a row now. I've just, at the last minute, been tempted to give them one more chance. But I think, I think this is the week that the changes come in. They've run out of chances now. Most of them, anyway. A couple of them might keep their positions, but nobody's safe. <laughs> that's, that's the way a team should be. Anyway, just to finish up, the answer to the question of the week. So just to recap, the question of the week was, former Saracens hooker Fabio Ongaro holds a Rugby World Cup record. What is that record? Who wants to go first? I'm not as confident this week as I was last week, to be honest. <laughs> In that case, we'll let you go first. I've got two answers. I'm not sure which it is. Yo, um, I'm, only, I'm, I'm taking your first one, Stephen. I'm not going to say them both, but um, I have to go oldest ever player. Oldest ever player. Okay. And uh, Chris? I'm thinking most yellow cards. Yellow <laughs> cards. And Gary? Um, I'll go oldest try score. Oldest try score. Oh, one of you's got it spot on. I was my second hundred was Chris's one, so I'm, oh, I'm praying it's not him. That. The answer is he's the most sin bin player in rugby oh, World Cup no. history. He's just <laughs> three yellow cards in nine rugby World Cup games. Sorry to have dirty players. <laughs> <laughs> I should have copped that, of course. <laughs> I, think, I think I think that puts Chris in the lead now. If someone is keeping score of that. It does. I've I've actually updated the site this week to have a running total. Okay, it, so put Chris ahead. Yeah, it was myself and Chris tied at the top. Now Chris has taken a, a narrow one-point lead into week nine. Was this a, a double points weekend, Glenn? No, unfortunately not, sorry. <coughs> I'll, I'll stick two of them in during the season, though. I, I played myself as captain. Eh... <laughs> 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 uh, I need to make these questions harder so I can get on the board. <laughs> yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sticking with the Rugby World Cup ones until until it's over anyway. 
So I have to keep coming up with those ones. But um, yeah, just some links to the other media before we go is if you want to get in touch with us at Twitter, it's at one more round pod, and that's the number one. The email is one more round podcast at gmail.com. Again, the number one. SoundCloud is soundcloud.com forward slash one more round podcast. Once again, that's the number one. And the website is one more round podcast.wordpress.com, which is O N E. And then finally, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash one more round podcast. Again, O N E. Well, that's it for another week. Many thanks as always to Chris, Stephen, and Gary for their insights and opinions. Uh, we're off to pack our bags for another trip across the pond to cheer on the boys in green. Here's hope we can make it three wins out of three. Until next week, goodbye. Get up, you son of a bitch! Making love.